Good morning, Croydon Jubilee. Uh, greetings from the past, because I'm recording this about 10 days in advance of it going out. And greetings from New Addington, where I am recording it. I'm still very much looking forward to the day when we can do this in person. But for now, this will have to do. My name's John, I'm one of the elders at Jubilee, and I'm continuing in our series today from the book of Proverbs, which is wisdom, one of the wisdom books in the Old Testament. I've been given the subject, or I chose the subject, of diligence, which is what I'll be preaching on today. Diligence. Diligence is carefulness and persistent work or effort. Carefulness and persistent work or effort. Many of you will have heard of the seven deadly sins, one of which is sloth. Well, there are seven corresponding heavenly virtues, and diligence is the opposite of sloth the opposite of laziness or idleness, which is all well and good, some of you may say, but we're not Catholics, which is true. But of course, this teaching doesn't come from nowhere. And one of the most obvious places the virtue of diligence finds its biblical basis is in the book of Proverbs. My Bible is littered with notes that I've jotted down over the years from what I've heard people say or what I've read. And unfortunately, I don't record where I've heard it or, or read it when I write them down. So uh, I can't attribute some of the following quotes which I'm about to give, but I very much like what they say. Someone has said that a proverb is a short sentence founded on long experience. A short sentence founded on long experience. And to that extent, proverbs are empirical. They're not theoretical, they're practical. They're not descriptions of the way things should be, but the way things are. Some proverbs in the book of Proverbs are absolute. Proverbs 11 verse 1 is a good example of this. It says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. That's an absolute. Fraud is an abomination to God. But other proverbs are not absolute. They're not rules or guarantees. Their applicability depends on the circumstances, on the context, on the situation. So someone else has said, the conditions for the truth of a proverb must be explored before or as it's being applied. I'll say that again. The conditions for the truth of the proverb must be explored before or as it's being applied. That means the truth of the proverb, you have to figure it out as you're applying it or before you do so. Some proverbs are in tension with each other. Some are outright contradictory. It points us to the fact that this all is about wisdom. That's what wisdom is. It's part of what wisdom is. Figuring out in what way and when the proverb is true. When does it apply and when does it not apply? Because proverbs are not guarantees, but they're rather general rules that need to be applied wisely. Someone else has said that proverbs are behaviours that all things being equal will normally lead to the desired ends. They normally lead to the desired ends. Not always. They're not formulas. The proverbs on diligence fall into this latter category. They're not absolutes, they're generalities. If you're diligent, there is no guarantee that you will be successful. It is generally true, but it's not absolutely true. 
Furthermore, the book of Proverbs makes an assumption that you will be diligent to the right ends. As I said earlier, diligence is careful and persistent work or effort. It may be a virtue, but you can direct it towards evil ends. There are plenty of diligent fraudsters who have become very rich and successful in those terms. They're good at what they do. There are diligent burglars, there are diligent drug dealers, there are diligent mobsters, there are diligent killers. Part of the reason the Third Reich got as far as it did was because of great diligence. So diligence has to be directed towards the right ends. Unless we think diligence is simply some Old Testament wisdom that's somehow been done away with under New Covenant grace, the New Testament is also full of instructions for us to be diligent and it tells us what to be diligent in. In the letter to the Galatians, written by Paul in chapter 6 towards the end, verse 7, he wrote this, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Farming is often fertile ground in the Bible for, as a metaphor for diligence. And there's a connection between what you do, how you sow, and what then happens, how you reap. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, Paul again writes something quite similar to the Corinthian church. He wrote, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is cause and effect, and it holds under the new covenant of grace, just as it does under the old covenant of law. Actions have consequences. That's why in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 10 to 12 again, another letter which the Apostle Paul wrote to one of the early churches, he instructed the church thus, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Diligence is pulling your weight in life. The problem in preaching this kind of material is that I'm speaking to a mixed audience. Some of us may be given to idleness and need to kick up the backside, just as Paul was writing to some of those churches that we just read. And some of us are so diligent that we're overworking and we need to learn how to rest. And the danger is that those who are lazy don't listen and those who are busy will be falsely convicted and try to become even busier. Such is preaching, which is why my prayer is that God himself will apply this message to your life and that he will enable you to make a sober assessment of whether you need to be more diligent or not, or whether you need to make any changes to the ends to which you are diligent or not. So let's read some Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6 verses 6 to 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, 
a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. Very similar Proverbs chapter 20 verse 4 says, The sluggard does not plough in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Here is the positive and the negative example. An ant takes care of itself. It works to get food and it's successful at doing so without being told to do so. It just does it. It's diligent at fulfilling its purpose because work is part of the fabric of creation. We learn that from the stories of creation right at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapters 1 and 2. We're made for work and work is here to stay. When you die, you go to heaven and then you'll be resurrected to life again in a material body, in a material world. And after the resurrection in the new creation, there will be work to do. New creation is not a matter of lying around doing nothing. Our God is not a lying around doing nothing sort of God. He's a creating, working God. And so we made in his image are designed to do likewise. You're meant to work, whether paid or not, whether old or young, whether more capable or less capable. The challenge, of course, is that work was corrupted by the fall in the garden of evil and it became difficult. Work was cursed. It became painful. We no longer work with the grain of creation a lot of the time, but we find ourselves working against the grain of creation. It resists us. Our own bodies resist us. And many of us find ourselves tempted like the sluggard is to a little bit more sleep, a little bit more slumber, a little folding of the hands. The negative example. When we moved back from China in 2013, we moved here to New Addington into a house with a garden. And I was 35 and for the first time I had a garden to care for. I don't like gardening. It can seem futile at times. I'm not growing anything, I'm just battling to stay on top of things, to maintain the status quo, just trying to stop it from spiralling out of control. And it makes me ache, my body aches after gardening, my back aches, my limbs ache. When I go out to tame the garden, it resists me. And that's not even getting into the badgers and the foxes which dig everything up and make a mess. But I am called to care for that patch of land. I've been given that patch of land and it's my patch of creation to take responsibility for. Belongs to God, it's been leased to me if you like and it is my responsibility. The temptation is for me to be a sluggard, to sleep a bit longer, to watch a bit more YouTube, to surf a little bit more of the internet. That temptation is strong. There are many other things I would rather be doing than going out and doing battle in the garden. But I am called and meant for something else, to take responsibility for what I have been given. This is a little picture of life in general. I have been given a life and it is my responsibility, just like my garden is. I can either tend it and care for it, even if that just means barely staying on top of things, or I can let it go wild and out of control. I'm not owed a free lunch. I have to get up and work for it because it's what I was designed for, it's what I'm capable of. 
I intensely dislike getting up at half past four in the morning for my early shifts, but it's what I have to do. And I come home from those shifts exhausted after work, but I am fulfilling my responsibility. This is my life. It is the work that I have been given to do, and I am grateful for work to do. This is the general rule in life, which we learn from Proverbs and from many other places in the Bible, that you have to work for what you get. Many of you will be familiar with Jesus's parable of the talents or the miners. The master, God, gives responsibilities to the servants, gifts, if you like, tasks for them to fulfil. They represent us and he expects us to put those talents, those responsibilities, those gifts to work. If we don't and we're lazy, there are consequences for which we are responsible. And Jesus spells that out in the parable. So in Proverbs, we find this, chapter 10, verses 4 to 5. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. And similarly, a bit later on, chapter 12, verses 24 and 27. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labour. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. As I said earlier, diligence and success are not perfect markers of righteousness. There are plenty of people diligent in evil and who are rich in material terms because of it. But of course, material wealth is not purely the point of diligence. Contentment is, and I'll come on to that in a minute. It's more about fulfilment. Nevertheless, at a basic level, as we've seen, there is a connection between diligent work and meeting your own basic needs. We have a life and you can put it to diligent good use. There's a great little book by uh, Danny Silk called Keep Your Love On, which I think makes this point very well and is worth a read. It makes the point really well that you are a lot more powerful and able then generally you may give yourself credit for, or other people do. You have agency, you have this life, you have choices that you can make, and you have power to make them. Do not characterise your life by phrases like, I can't, or I'll try. We live in a society in which there are entire industries built upon telling people they're unable to do something, and they need help, and often we do need help. I'm not denying the need for help, but we also have the ability to help ourselves. These proverbs teach us this. Do not kid yourself that you can't when you can. The psychologist Jordan Peterson, who was a bit of a rising star, star the year before last, but it's dimmed somewhat since then. He summed up this really in one of his 12 rules for life. He wrote a book called The 12 Rules for Life. Uh, I haven't read it, but I've heard many, many lectures on it by him. And one of them is clean your room. If you don't know where to start when you get out of bed in the morning in terms of taking responsibility for your life, start with what's in front of you and what's doable. You can clean your room. He's saying the same thing as the Proverbs we just read. Don't just roll over and go back to sleep. There are areas in life in which you've been given responsibility and you can take responsibility. 
It's interesting that uh, he said at the end of last year, his next project in terms of looking at biblical material will be the book of Proverbs. So it'll be interesting to see what he comes out with when he does that. I said a minute ago that the point of diligence is contentment or fulfilment. Proverbs 13 verse 4 says this, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly rewarded. It talks about the soul of the sluggard and the soul of the diligent, not their treasure trove or their bank balance. The diligent goes to bed at night satisfied with what they have done, even if they're poor. The sluggard goes to bed at night empty, dissatisfied, even if they are rich. Jesus famously said in Mark 8 verse 36, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? And it's at this point where the stoic philosophy of someone like Jordan Peterson and the gospel of Jesus Christ begin to diverge. There is much wisdom in what the Stoics say. They're proponents of facing suffering with the virtues of diligence and duty and obligation and taking personal responsibility. There is much value in exhorting people to exercise their agency in the world, just as I'm doing now, to make good choices, to live by the question, what can I do? What can I do? Rather than to be defined by what they can't do. But it is not enough. Such wisdom is insufficient in and of itself. Because whilst all that we have said may be true and wise, you cannot be diligent enough to save yourself. However careful in your work you are, however persistent in effort you may be, it will never be enough. It's necessary, but it is insufficient. You need to do it to follow all the wisdom of these proverbs, but doing so will not get you to the destination that you need to get to, the destination of peace, of rest, of contentment, of salvation. And the reason for this is simple. We are not perfect. We are marred and we are twisted by sin and by its effects. The Stoics would have us pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we can't do that. We live in a way standing in between two precipices, a bit like if you know it's Striding Edge in the Lake District and the mountain of Helvellyn, a narrow ridge you can walk along with precipices on either side. To one side there's laziness and the doom that that brings and on the other side there's self-justification and trying to do it all by yourself and the failure that that would bring. Neither work. We need a saviour to lead us through. Jesus is the one who says to us, come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it's in this, in these words of Jesus, the only one who says words like that to us that we find the resolution of our struggle. Jesus, by the power of the Helper, the Holy Spirit, is the one who animates us to follow the wisdom of these Proverbs which we have just read. He enables us to be diligent. He calls us and empowers us out of 
laziness, apathy, and a false sense of inability. When we say we can't, he says you can. But he makes up for our lack and our inability, for our failure. At the end of a day, of a day lived with him, we can be content with the labour that we have done and at peace with what we haven't done. We can praise God for what he's enabled us to do and we can thank him that he covers what we neglected to do. For Jesus is the one who by the Spirit empowers us in our diligence and covers us in our neglect of doing what we were called to do. And that is part of the good news of Jesus. And so I pray that in that you will find blessing and rest for your soul. May God bless you. Amen.